What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring anymore, and we're bridging the gap from what happens in the classroom to the weight room. And we have an absolute legend on the show. He's the reason why I went with the sleeveless shirt today, right? Because we have none other than the Buddy Morris. Coach, uh, not coach, Buddy. Thank, thank you, you for joining the show. There's a lot of other things you could be doing, so... Thank you very much, and give a quick background if anybody does not know who you are. Uh, first of all, I, I'm truly honored that you gave me this opportunity to spend an hour with you. Uh, I really appreciate it. It means a great deal to me, especially at, you know, at my age. I'm now 66. I'm nearing the end of uh, what's been a life pursuit and journey um, forever and ever. But I started this profession in 1980. was very lucky. I actually fell into the profession I will always be internally uh, grateful and indebted to Jackie Sherrill, who I still stay in touch with, Pitts, uh, former head coach at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I was running track for University of Pittsburgh. Believe it or not, I was a short sprinter. At one time, I was very fast. People don't believe that. But, uh, <laughs> yes, I was very fast. Uh, 60 meter or the 100? Which one? Uh, 100 meters. 100 meters. <laughs> believe it or not, I ran slightly under uh, 10, 500 meters. One Darn time. Right you did. One time. So... People say, how many times? And it's just one time, just like you're saying, Boulders only run that time, one time. Um, but I was pretty consistent. Um, and hamstrings ruined my career, to be honest with you. Uh, so being running track for Pitt, my last year I decided to forego my scholarship and just uh, really wanted to get more and more into strength training. Uh, fell into strength training because of a guy named Harvey Glantz, who I actually met out here through a good friend of mine, uh, Olympic gold medalist, Roger Kingdom. And Harvey Glantz is really, really, is really the reason I started lifting in college. I had heard that there was a sprint at Auburn, a good bench 350 pounds. In my mind, I just put two and two together, and I thought, oh, if I get stronger, I'll get faster. And, and that was true. And, but as I've aged, that becomes true to a certain point. But anyway, I started working with, with some of the players from the Pitt football team in preparation for the NFL draft. Back in the old days, they didn't have a combine, Justin. They would just call an athlete and say, hey, we're going to be there tomorrow. So you could get three, three calls in a row. Three wow. days in a row have to work out for different, different teams. And I was good friends with Bob Jury, who played and was a starting safety for University of Pittsburgh. I went to high school with him. I mean, we went to high school together. Uh, eventually went up to Pitt together, and he and I were very close. And I started working with him on his 40 time. Lo and behold, Jackie Sherrill found out about it. I started working with Gussie Sinceri, whose brother Sal played for the University of Pittsburgh. I started helping Gussie with his 40. Uh, players started going on telling Jackie Sherrill about it. I get a call two weeks after graduation. And I mean, I'm ready to go to work for the old European health spa. If you don't remember those, it's a, if you've ever seen uh, Van Halen's album, Best of Both Worlds, the guy holding the big world on his back, that was the emblem for European health spas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm getting ready to go to work for European House Balls. Get a call from Kip Smith, who was a trans University of Pittsburgh. He said, Jackie wants to talk to you. So I go in, and I sit down, and I was very intimidated by Coach Sherl. Very intimidated. <clears throat> but I remember he says, think you can do the job. And it didn't dawn on me what he was asking me. I thought I was going to be a GA. So he throws the keys across to me and says, job's yours. I'm like, oh, okay. Job's <laughs> yours. But here's the kicker. He did it without permission from the university. This is the last week of April, first week of May, Justin, and fiscal budgets aren't aligned till July. So Jackie just mm. said, 
So Coach Short was literally paying me out of his own pocket to take a streetcar and a bus. And I didn't have a car. Um, my parents, we, I grew up poor. My parents were divorced. We had my mother, my mother uh, who is my idol, is 90 years old now, raised five boys by herself on a bank teller's salary and welfare back in the day or public assistance. So <clears throat> we didn't have, I didn't have a car and he would pay for my streetcar and bus every day, give me money out of his pocket until I eventually got uh, approved by administration who Kaz Mosinski was the athletic director at the time at the University of Pittsburgh who by the way is a very close friend of mine, Tommy Mosinski's late uncle, literally gave the okay to hire me. I didn't get my first paycheck from Pitt till the end of August. And I was getting married September of that year, my first marriage. So yeah, it was it was um, it was very eye opening. So I started I stayed there for ten years. I left in nineteen eighty uh, eighty nine. Um, when my daughter Kara was diagnosed with autoimmune liver disease, I went to work for a hospital in a small town northwest of about an hour and a half northwest of Pittsburgh, Sharon, PA, Hermitage, PA. Worked there for seven years which is where I became, really started going to the medical library and reading medical books. And I stopped reading on how to get stronger, to be honest with you. I just started reading about the body systems and how we are an inter, interdependent matrix system and no system works independently of the other systems. And I did that because of my daughter's liver disease, trying to figure out ways to help her. I got a call in 97. Uh, was asked to go back to University of Pittsburgh. Went back to University of Pittsburgh in 2005. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 2001. 2001, got a call from the Cleveland Browns. Understand this, Justin. I never had any desire to work in the NFL. <laughs> it wasn't my life's pursuit. It wasn't my goal. I wasn't going to commit suicide if I didn't get there. It wasn't all I lived for or dreamed about. I had no aspirations to get here. Uh, it happened. I took the, the, the chance, uh, stayed there for three years, was unemployed for a year. Uh, got a call from University of Buffalo, went to University of Buffalo for literally six months under Turner Gill, who I think the world of. <clears throat> um, met my second wife there. Uh, I always tell people I took the best thing that you know, the city of Buffalo had to offer and got it the hell out. So <laughs> I moved back to Pittsburgh again. Um, I'm there and I, and I get a chance to go to the Washington Redskins with Mike Shanahan. I turned that down because my youngest daughter was now in Pitts Nursing School, which means tuition waiver. Mm. We get a new athletic director. I walk into Coach Wanstead's office. I said, Coach, I got to tell you, we're all in trouble with this athletic director because I worked for the guy before. He's an egotistical maniac. Everything revolves around him. Uh, Dave, Dave once that told me, he goes, don't worry about it. I got the chancellor in my pocket. One year later, we're all fired. <laughs> now, thankfully, I had signed a three-year extension. So for two years, Justin, I literally sat around unemployed. Couldn't find a job. Nobody hired me for oh, two, wow. two years. For really, three years. Um, the second of the two years, I'm, I'm sorry, two years, uh, my wife decides her and her son went open up a performance center of all places, Buffalo, New York, where she's from. I'm telling her, ain't gonna work, ain't gonna work. Oh, it'll work. I'm like, ain't gonna work, it'll work. And this goes on. So, all right, I give in. So, we go there for one year. Uh, and I get a call from BA, and that's how I wind up here. So, I've been at the University of Pittsburgh three different times from 97 to 2001. 
Went to University of Buffalo, got called to come back to Pitt again with Coach Wanstead, stayed there till James, which is where I, I brought in James Smith, who I think the world of. He's one of the most intelligent people I've ever been around in my entire life. What really amazed me about James one day is he walks in the office with an uh, acoustic guitar and starts strumming out Stairway to Heaven. I'm like, where the fuck did you learn to do that? And then I find out his degree in college was classical music. I'm like, now I know why you're so smart. You're a musician. And musicians are incredibly talented and incredibly smart people. I don't care what anybody says. And um, worked with James, and that's why I met Mike Dango, uh, Alan DeGenero. There's some of the conversations we would have in my office were just incredible. With myself, Alan, Anthony Paroli, who's now Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mike Dango, and James Smith. It was just two hours of some of the most thought-provoking conversations you'd ever want to be involved with. I tell people today, the true definition of intelligence is not what you know, it's what you do when you don't know. Mm. My desk looks like it does. And I'll be the first to tell you, Justin, I don't know everything. I'm, le I'm learning every day. I just went to Matt Jordan's force plate course. Uh, he came to Phoenix, and I'm, I'm constantly bothering Thank God for Matt Jordan, because I'm constantly bothering him, to be honest with you. Uh, but then I, I went back to Pitt, and then I'm back to Buffalo, and then back to Pittsburgh again, and back to Buffalo for six weeks. I'm driving home, and I'm not a fanatic. I'm not a cold weather fan. Don't like it. Have Pittsburgh must not have been for you or Buffalo. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm proud to be a Pittsburgher, but I tell my, my wife, I don't want to go back there either. So... <clears throat> I'm sitting outside the University of Buffalo's weight room, you know, and it's, I'm, I'm freezing my balls off. It's so cold. And the night before, I got a thing on my phone that said, B.A. called. So I text B.A. I said, did you butt down me? He goes, no, I need to talk to you in the morning. And I tell my wife, I said, don't get excited. Just do not get excited. He's probably calling me on Caleb, um, Caleb Mack, Khalil Mack, who plays for the University of Buffalo. I don't know anything about him. He's going to tell B.A., don't know anything about him, can't help you. So sure enough, next day he calls me, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm freezing my fucking balls off, what are you doing? And he goes, I need you on a plane Wednesday, tomorrow. I'm like, are you serious? He goes, yes, because he had told me when he first got the job, if he was in, I'm in. But then he got here and called me the next day and said, this is the hardest phone call I've ever had to make. I'm sorry, I can't bring you in. So he told me to sit here, I told my wife that. Um, so he opened up the performance center in Buffalo and I hate to backtrack. But then I get the phone call, and that's how I wound up here. It's exactly how I went. I've known B.A. since my days with the Cleveland Browns. He went to the Steelers. I went back to Pitt. I would talk to him and see him every day. Um, and that's how, that's how I'm here. How I've been here for 10 years and through four different staffs now, I can't tell you. Yet, by the grace of God, I'm lucky. Uh, but like I said, it was never my aspiration. It's never my goal to be in the NFL. All I was ever wanted to do, to be honest with you, Justin, was be the head strength coach for the University of Pittsburgh. And that happened, I was blessed that that happened three times. Actually, four years ago, they called me and asked me to come back for the fourth time. And as much as I love Pittsburgh, as much as I love Pitt, I just, uh, once you've been in the sun, and you see the sun every day, and listen, they can say what they want about the heat. I don't give a shit. I don't have to shovel heat. I can put up with the heat. That's <laughs> the year. We keep it so cold in our building that sometimes I'll be outside sitting on the wall in the sun because it gets too cold in here. So I'm a creature of warmth and habit. 
and I hope to one day retire here. I have another year left on my contract. We'll see what happens after this year because you're not guaranteed anything in this league. <clears throat> they say the NFL stands for not for long, right? Honestly, NFL stands for no fucking logic. Ooh. That's the way I see it because the way things are set up, and we might as well get into this right now. Here's four words we need to eliminate from the English language as, as the language or conversations as strength or physical preparation coaches are concerned. Get rid of injury prevention because you ain't preventing injury. Thank you. You don't want to get injured. Keep going. Don't be a fucking athlete or don't ever get <laughs> off the bench. Because the more you get exposed to the competitive environment, the higher the likelihood of injury occurring. J.J. Watt, last year I did his shoulder rehab. Four weeks after surgery, he comes to me, he says, you're doing my rehab, Brett Fisher's doing my tissue work, Chad's doing my running. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you're doing everything now. I'm like, no, no, no. He goes, no, you're fucking doing everything. Here's a guy who spent 12 years, and I have the utmost respect for him. Guys like him, Carson Palmer, Zachers, Buddha Baker's my hero. Mm, love Buddha. He's awesome. Uh, he just everything you want in a player and as a person. Same thing with JJ. So JJ's played in the league for 12 years, had 19 surgeries. I've never seen anybody prepare harder in my life. And this is 43 years, Justin, and JJ Watt. How do you explain 12 surgeries? So get rid of the words injury prevention because you're not going to prevent shit, especially the way the NFL is set up. And what people, oh, the normal yeah. fan, doesn't understand, Justin. No, when no. The minute the season ends, you can't touch him until yep. um, voluntary offseason. And you then they're gone for a big gap, yeah. They're, mm. they're, and here's the problem with that. First of all, abruptly ending anything causes great stress and harm to the human body. It's like slamming into a wall in your car going 100 miles an hour and slamming into a brick wall. Because that's what you do. The body expects to play, then all of a sudden you abruptly stop it. And you do nothing. Mm. There has to be, and I, I've done it here for a couple years, and I, I told Tommy Maslinski I was doing, he goes, great idea, they'll never do it. And he's right. A transition period into active rest. If you're an elite athlete, you should never stop training. It's your job. Your body is your corporation. Stop treating your profession as a part-time job. You don't need time off. What I'm saying is now, take a week off, I get it. But now just pick the lowest hanging fruit. Charlie Francis's bike tempo fits in perfect to a transition period of just active recovery and low intensive work. Low intensive work. I didn't say go back in the weight room and start hanging and bagging four days a week. I didn't say that. I said pick the lowest hanging fruit, do some mobility work, do some band work, some body weight exercise. You know, tell me you can't do a fucking push-up. I mean, fuck, you could go swim. That'd be great. Yeah, swimming, exactly. Do something. But this... this Sitting on my ass doing nothing is the worst thing you can do. Because two things happen. Number one, you dive deeper down the rabbit hole of recovery. Mm. We want to recover? Sure we do. But you'll recover faster, more efficiently, and better by being active. Motion is the lotion. You'll heal faster by movement instead of laying on your ass and getting rubbed and tugged on on a, on a, on a table by some therapist. Second of all, time away from the, the gym leads to a lower adaptive response of attended loading capacity. So now you go back to training like you did. I'm going to go back to four days a week. I'm going to get specific. You're not you skip over general qualities, but general qualities support, support specific qualities. And you got to remember this. Your fitness level is directly proportional to or related to the amount of time it took you to acquire it. Charlie mm -hmm. Francis told me a long time ago, Justin, 
The mm. rush to put things in place leads uncertainty down the road. Mm. I added dot, dot, dot. Usually that's disastrous. So anything gained fast is lost fast. So <clears throat> just maintaining some semblance of movement, body weight exercise, low aerobic work on a bike. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. You'll feel 100% better. And then you go back to training. Just I'm going back to four days a week. I'm start doing my DV drills. You, got, you tell me you forgot how to backpedal in three months. Right. That's not, you don't need <laughs> After to get, doing it for 13, 14 yeah. years. Why are you getting so specific so soon? Do the general qualities and then move into specific work. And you got to remember this too. The more they master the specific abilities on the field, the greater general strength is going to transfer anyway. So general. Why do you need to start getting so specific right away? Because all that's going to do is lead you open to reactive tendinopathy. Because if you think about it, all right, nervous system adapts first, nerves move muscles, so muscles next, muscle moves bone, then bones next. What attaches bone to muscle is a tendon. What attaches bone to bone is ligaments, so tendons, ligaments are next. And then last but not least, the fascia system. I used to have one guy, I'm not going to say his name, he's no longer with us, great player. Um, that's with another team now, but I'd have to text him four weeks into this off season saying, why are you doing repeat vertical jumps on a Vertimax already? You're not ready for that. Your tendons aren't ready for that load. You can't do that. But this is what their personal terrorists do. When they hire That's the, I forgot about that name. It's so far from removed from what we're trying to do because, and I get it, I get it. I, I was in the private industry for a while. You're trying to sell a business. You're trying to sell your system. You're trying to promote your brand so you can make money. I, I get that. But get this. When the shit hits the fan, they're not going to point the finger at you. They're going to point the finger at the training and strength staff. But all I'm going to do is turn around and say, well, you know what? I haven't seen him since January. I don't know what he's been doing. I don't know when he started. We sent home programs, but I can tell you right now, because I can look on my email, none of these programs have been accessed. So... What about their personal terrorists? Because the longest point of time we get to train them is when they're the most beat up. In when season, yeah. activity takes precedent. Things that are like in nature compete for the same CNS resources. The stress of the game, you can't train them heavy in season. These guys, these guys are 22 to, what was Tom Brady, 45? Yeah. When he retired. You get a wide range of age. And none of you get a wide range of age. As they get older, the greater their injury history becomes. So here's what I tell people. Every one of us, Justin, <clears throat> is like a tire. Some of us are Michelin Pirelli high performance. Some of us are bargain basement baby O's. What's the common denominator amongst all tires? They have a tread. They go on a car. Oh, they have tread. They have the life of the tread depends on here. My tire's properly inflated, balanced, aligned, to align my car. What's the external environment I drive in? Am I a hard breaker or hard decelerator? How do I drive my car? How do I? Who t whose responsibility is that? That's yours. Your mechanic tells you all that. Preparation coaches, we're mechanics. We tell you all that. It's your job to do it. Especially now with the amount of time these guys have off, 90% of preparation is your responsibility, not mine. But if it's not in place, I get blamed. But the the the, long, the, the, the moral to the story is everybody's tread wears out. No matter what you do, your tread is going to wear on your tire. 
I'm 66 years old. My tread is worn out. I'm on the inner tube of the bicycle tire. That's what I got left. Once a bullshit, once bullshit. Look at you. You still, you're still Michelin. You're a Michelin man right there. Cut it, cut it out right now. Once that fucking inner tube goes, I'm done. Uh -huh. I tell my wife bullshit. You can plug it. You can pump it back up. I'm not buying. I'm like, this is just damage controls. Why I go to the gym now, not because I want to. It's because of discipline. I don't go to the gym because I want to. I go to the gym because it's what I do. It's where I relieve my stress. It's where I still enjoy going. And don't get me wrong, I'm more machine-based now because I have this thing called psoriatic arthritis. That I thought, you know, when you're a kid, arthritis, how bad can that be? Fuck, it's real bad. <laughs> my shoulders don't go above my head. I can't put a bar on my back anymore. So I just do all machine work. And so people who dish on machines, your day's coming. Smith, I live on a Smith machine. I think Smith machine is great. See, you got a, that's a bar on your back. What the fuck are you talking about? I can't put it on the back. I just incline off of it. Ah, uh, okay. And you have weight limits you set, and you have a time limit. So when I go to the gym, I'm like, one hour. If I ain't got it done in an hour, I'm not going to get it done in two hours. Because all I'm going to do is further deplete myself, make myself more miserable and more tired. So I give myself one hour. When I get done, I get done. So my wife will tell you, Monica will tell you, no, you're always calling me and telling me you got one more set. And that does happen. You got one more set, one more set. But anyway, these athletes got to understand your body's your corporation. Mm. You're the CEO of it. You're the human resources. You hire and fire who you need to take care of your body. But the hardest thing we teach rookies is this ain't college no more. There's no structure. You're your structure. You've got to be on time. You have to be in a building at a certain time. You got to practice at a high level. You're not in a four-year deal anymore. This ain't a four-year scholarship. Every year, excuse me, every year they're going to draft people to take your job. So you better be a pro about it, and you better take care of your body. You better have massages set up twice a week, all year round. In the off season, too many guys want to spend too much time laying on a table. You'll need to lay on a table. Inflammation. Hormonal disruptions, which is why we train for a hormonal response. Metabolical stress, enzymatic changes are all part of the adaptation phase. Let the body do its job. If you start to blunt that, mm -hmm. I gotta get ice tub, I gotta get eatle today, I gotta get cupped. When it comes time to use those, you've blunted their effectiveness because you see them all year round. Now, I didn't say anything about a massage, I think massage is great once or twice a week. It allows you to handle 20% more intensity, 40% more volume, as Charlie told me a long time ago. So yeah, I'm all for that. But these other modalities and this, the search for secret stuff is getting outrageous anymore. Here's the three things you need to pay attention to, just real quick. The no, you're good, keep going. Hydration, nutrition, and here's a shocker, sleep. Sleep. There's your best recovery modalities right there. But we are such a gimmick-oriented society. Fuck, yeah. Winston, I always tell, every, every podcast I do, I always say this, Winston Churchill got it right. Americans will always get it right after they've tried everything else. That's what the fuck we do. That's what the fuck we do as a society. Because we're always looking for that top secret, never seen before, double hmm. probation, secret exercise, workout program. Here's what works, the program you're on. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not working at it. The best program in the world is always the one you're not on. Amen. Yeah. 
And then you get on it, Justin, and what happens? You're going to hit a wall. Because in our world, it's called law of accommodation. Everything is going to lose its effectiveness over time. I don't believe in periodization. Periodization is a concept. It's an idea. It's a plan. How many times do you know a plan to go according to? How many times do you know things go according to plan? I mean, yeah, never. You have your plan, then you, you work, have a plan, work your plan, but don't be a slave to your plan, right? Exactly. I, I don't have Kyler's sheet with me. Damn it. I had Kyler Murray's sheet. And I have a, it, it looks like this. And then when I'm done with it, it's red marked everywhere. Yeah, the number, yeah. I mean, fuck. It's if changed. anybody just has it the exact same, like you're not really coaching, you're not analytically thinking, you're not no. actually talking with the because at the end of the day, whatever you're trying to do, if you had programmed dumbbell bench for him and something was changed, you're like, all right, fuck, what can I do for a horizontal pressing, right? And it's, exactly. it doesn't matter. Like, Here's what people don't understand. We're not going to compete in those lifts when we play a game. We are no. still, we're sportsmen. We're sportsmen. Yes. A squat is a squat. A squat is a movement pattern. That's all it is. Yeah. Back squat is no different than a goblet squat to me. No different than a front squat. No different than a zercher squat. It's just different place to... The load is going to be different. Belt squat, different. It's still a squatting movement. I think a trap bar pull is better than a squat any day, to yeah. be honest with you. I think as long as it strengthens the extensors of the arms in a scapular plane, who cares what you do? Bench press, dumbbell bench, loaded push-ups, cable pressing. Who cares? It's still strengthening the arms in a scapular plane. Who says you have to bench press? Older guys, as they get older, I found it's better to use them dumbbells with them, especially during the season. Because of the work, listen, if the work hasn't been done by the time you get here, you're shit out of luck. Because now you only have a finite supply of energy. So during the season, the more advanced these guys get, the greater their outputs. The greater the outputs, greater the cost of the output. I have to ask myself this question, and all preparation coaches have to ask themselves this question. Do I want my outputs to be specific or do I want them to be general? Depends on the time of the year, but yeah, yeah, like, right? You mean time of the year. Once they get on the field, that takes precedent. You only have so much energy. That's what the human body is designed for. The body is designed for, to adapt so it can survive, but it survives by regulating its energy. So if I'm going to continue to deplete myself, there's a cost to pay for everything we do. Everything. If I'm writing an acceleration program, it's heavily based acceleration, max velocity, and it's for my skill guys, because I believe in training skill guys like Olympic sprinters, mm -hmm. and you have to make adjustments in the weight room. Because there's nothing that we'll ever do in this weight room. It's gonna mimic the forces produced in max velocity work. And to me, maximal strength is a poor indicator of the special strength capabilities of the motor system or the nervous system. 100%. There's nothing we will ever do in a weight room, Justin, you know, that's going to mimic the forces incurred when these guys go into sprint work or acceleration work. Nothing. We can give them things that help them Correct. through dynamic correspondence. The other two words I think we've got to get rid of is sport-specific. Mm. I mean, sport-specific, like Charlie Francis told me a long time ago, play the sport all year round. There's your, spe there's your specificity. These guys who invent these exercises in the weight room, Gotta be fucking kidding me. They're circus acts. What you uh, field. Now, from uh, a vector standpoint, from an amplitude, from a force standpoint, it may mimic it, which is what we talk about in dynamic correspondence. 
that's a, that's a different. But to say we're going to train sports specific in a weight room, <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. I'm just going to tell you that right now. No, you're not. From a bioenergetic standpoint, you can do specific on the field, and that's the development of the energy system. So developing power before capacity. Yeah, that's that's where you're going to do it. But I still see people are still running 300 yard shuttles, 110s, crossing over my why. Just tell me why. I, I don't understand that. Our game is a game of five second bursts, a maximum work. It's not endurance. Endurance work is the ability to sustain a low level activity for a prolonged period of time. It is an intermittent or capacity sport, the ability to re repeat high intense efforts over an extended period of time. With, if you think about it, they're all getting, and I have times around the field, even up tempo offenses, they're still getting 18 to 20 seconds rest. Now, I want to ask you about linemen. What do you think about them? Because we had this conversation in that group chat I was talking with you about. Linemen, little offensive linemen, not defense, they're a little bit more of just like, if you think about it, they might go to the line of scrimmage, block somebody, fall down, get back up, go to the huddle. Like, they might be a little bit more, like, because that was me in my life. Like, I, I was offensive lineman, so it's like, nah, that's pretty fucking tiring, like, to do all that shit and then go to the huddle and go back. Like, that might be a little bit more closer to lactate, but I agree with you that you still don't need to be doing 300s and 110s. No, but. no. And again, if you have a well-developed aerobic system, mm -hmm. your ability to starve off lactate is going to be in place. In James Smith's book... Uh, Which one, the football one or just the regular one? The football one. Yep. Uh, uh, it's on my desk. I'm not even going to reach for it because it's under a pile of papers. And in James, book, James Smith's book, it talks about the development aerobic system must mimic or stimulate the muscles that occurs in a competitive environment or exercise because um, your anaerobic threshold is a direct reflection of the oxidative capacity of the, of the tissue involved in the work. So that tells me my tempo work, which is aerobic in nature, Mm -hmm. doesn't have to, it's 70% or less, it's not 75%, it's not 80%, intensive, intensive tempo work gets that high and borderlines on glycolytic work. And that should be done first. But when you move into regular tempo work as you get closer to the season, and we, we just, here with me, what I'll do is, beginning of the year, my tempo work is 35 second rest intervals. As I get into capacity work, alactic capacity, my tempo work volume, I mean my rest intervals go to 45 second, my tempo work always peaks before or plateaus before my um, speed work or alactic work. But what I'm trying to say is, as we move closer to camp, all tempo work position specific. Let them do patterns that are specific to their position. So I may be an offensive lineman. I may pass set for five yards on a diagonal pattern, turn around and finish the, and complete the tempo work or complete the tempo run in a straight linear fashion or I can do cut tempo runs. But now I start adding in change of direction work or position specific work. And position specific work is gonna be different for everybody. For a DB, I may backpedal 15 yards, turn and break at a 45 degree angle, sub-maximally, and then turn and finish the tempo work. So I think that's the value if you have a well-developed aerobic system and it's progressed throughout the year and it starts off at linear and starts off with a 35 second rest interval and then starts to progressing to increase in difficulty, then it, you don't have to worry about lactate. And tempo work can be done millions of different ways. It's just not straight ahead. I can add a cut. I can add position specific. I can do med ball throws after. I can do body weight exercises after. So for intraset recovery mode. 
There's many different ways to do tempo work. Just don't lock yourself in to one way. This is how it has to be. No, this is not how it has to be. You're making it that way. There's multiple variations of everything. So don't say this is this is the best exercise or this is the best way to do it. There is no one best way. We operate in an area of gray in everything we do as physical preparation coaches. Because it all depends. It all depends on the individual. It all depends on is my nervous system recovered? I tell my guys, I've told everybody, you have three maxes. You have a competitive max, which is what they train for in a competitive environment. You have a, a testing max, which is the biggest mistake I think college strength coaches make is they have this max effort day, mm. max day, and it's done under a highly emotional climate or environment. All right, I understand that. Are you going to repeat that same environment every training day? That's literally what I said about this whole Wisconsin. I don't know if you saw it online, but the fucking University of Wisconsin on their social media, they put out their head strength coach. They had lights, literally strobe lights, turned the music, turned the lights off, white and red strobe lights, uh, a DJ, and the kids were wearing masks when they were squatting. And that was exactly what I said on social media. I was like, you're going to do that every other squat session because now you have an inflated max. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're exactly right. It's an inflated max and you can't train off it. You know, if you establish a new PR, you can't train off it right away. No, your 80% is your real 90, and you're going to get buried. Exactly. You've got you've to let the body adjust. So they, they talk about, you know, we've got to stimulate, adapt, stimulate, adapt. How about this? Stimulate, adapt, stabilize. Stimulate, adapt, stabilize. Mm-hmm. The last thing you have to understand is you have a daily estimated training max. Nervous system can fluctuate by 18% every day. In a bench press, that's... 18 kilograms, almost 40 pounds on a daily basis because we have them for an hour or two hours a day. What are they doing the other 22 hours? They're going to affect their body's ability to recover between bouts of intensive work. When you train, you train the uh, cardiac, cardiopulmonary, detoxification, hormonal, hormonal, metabolical, central nervous system, neuromuscular system, uh, immune systems. Those are all systems that are affected by stress. And not all those systems recover at the same point in time. So don't outrun the slowest system to recover. That's why Charlie's high-low approach and what James Smith brought to light, high-low approach, is so beneficial. Because on those low days, you're increasing the ability to handle volume of work. You're also forebrain dominant. You're able to think about what you're doing. So on the hindbrain or the high CNS or the high days, you can rehearse those activities that you've ingrained into your system by doing it submaximally at a high level. But then, then it goes for everything. So now we're, we've finally got a staff here uh, uh, this year that understands the high-low approach to practice too. That's awesome. You can have a high-low approach in the weight room, but if it doesn't match what's going on in the field, <laughs> it's pretty much fine. <laughs> yeah, you, you just throw it out the window. Uh, but our new head coach, uh, Jonathan Gannon, understands that. JG understands that. So we put in into place with Shay Thompson and Kyle Sammons uh, the high-low approach in practice too because it must mimic what you do in the weight room. And the problem is, is again, we've had 10 weeks to secure that adaptation to the high-low approach. Then you go and the guy, that shit goes out the door. So now I call it, and I stole this, a term off of Lauren Landau, who was with the, with the Denver Broncos for a couple of years, has his own performance center in Denver. 
and adaptation confusion. Because now you take them to the far end of the spectrum. This is where they're, what they've been used to, and now you're going to introduce all new concepts. I'm going to run you in the sand. Why the fuck you run in the sand? We're not playing in the sand. I've never understood that. Sand destroys the elastic reactive response, uh, causes you to stay on the ground for a longer period of time because the ground gives, so you dissipate forces. You take short, choppy steps. Yeah. Take short, choppy steps against somebody that takes that long first step in meters or 60 or 40, and you're done. The same thing with a, the same thing with a fucking foot ladder that everybody calls a speed ladder. And you know I have to hit on this. And I'm going to hit on this to the day I fucking die. I'll be with you. <laughs> it's just it's teaching people to go short, choppy steps, go nowhere fast. <sighs> no force is produced at the hip. I'm stealing something off of Boo Schnecksnader, who I have a world of respect for. Boo said, if, uh, if, pian if, if, uh, oh, wait, if foot speed equated to running speed, then piano players would have the fastest fastballs. Mm -hmm. And as my good friend James Smith says, those spacings on the foot ladder mimic the stride length of a toddler. <laughs> now, I will get out the foot ladder, and here's what I use it for, shoulder rehab. Ooh. Make it a weight-bearing shoulder activity because yeah. the shoulders are non-weight-bearing joints. So make it weight-bearing. So yeah. do the icky shuffle with your hands. Do in and out within your within your hands. I have my guys plyometrically in and out, in and out, all the way up and back. And that's the only time I'll ever pull out a foot ladder. You want to develop foot speed, develop the elastic re active response off the ground. You know, it's, it's not always about fiber composition, the amount of uh, white to red twitch fiber, uh, muscle fiber. It also comes down. I hate to break the news, everybody. Elasticity, mm -hmm. elastic response off the ground. If you look at all Ken Clark's research and you listen to people like Dan Paff, and I'm fortunate that I have a close relationship with CDNA. So anytime I'd write an acceleration or speed program, I send it to him and let him red pen it. I'll explain my thought process, and he'll tell me if I'm right or wrong. I don't want him to say, "Yeah, that looks great, B." Don't want that. Just start red penning the thing. I send him videos of Kyler Murray and guys doing dribbling. Is that? Nope, not yet. Not doing it. Keep him walking. I finally sent him one of Kyler and he says, now he's getting it. Now I got the rolling foot contact. Because <clears throat> dribbling is not many high knees. It's not what it is. It's a step over. And it starts from the ankle, which is circular motion, to the uh, calf, which is more elliptical, to the knee, which is really elliptical, which is like when I tell people they go over the knee, it's like sitting and taking a six foot six individual and put them on a bike and putting the seat down low. That's dribbling over the knee. So, and like anything, if you give people cues, Justin, those cues, like anything, body, they accommodate it. It gets dirty like a t-shirt, like Dan says. Yep, like Dan. And not, not the cue is going to work for everybody. But, you know, the longer I'm in this profession, the more I realize I don't know shit. <laughs> to be honest with you, which is why my guess yet you're so that. much better than literally 95% of coaches out there. I mean, just again, the things that you're talking about, like these are all things that our members and our listeners need to continue to hear because like you said, it's the uh, personal terrorists and it's the other people out on social media that are doing these things with people like, Oh, look at this footwork quick. It's like, no, that's not the tried and true. You need people that have the ability in these high roles. I think one of the best things ever was, when Devontae Adams was still with the Packers, he was uh, he got asked something in an interview, and he was like, I don't do those things. I run routes in the offseason. Like, that's how I get better at running routes. Exactly. Like, put your foot in the ground, accelerate, get away from somebody. 
always return to linear acceleration first and put that in place. After linear acceleration, and I'm not a fanatic on cone drills. I think they're brain numbing. Uh, I think they're mind idling. They're program planned and predicted, but they do expose the structure and tissues to forces they may encounter as we progress into more intensive work or more specific work. So I think they, they need to be put back in place. And there's basic, like, I'll teach a 45, 90, 135, and reverse pivot around a cone, that's it. That's about as, as cone drill as I get. But once you start running routes, that's all they need. And if you use routes sub-maximally in tempo work, all you're doing is perfecting the route pattern, are you not? So that when you go to rehearse it at a high speed, it's better. We took, uh, last year I, when I was training Zach Ertz, we compared his route running from the year before and to the last year when he was running his routes, he was running, uh, uh, creating greater uh, distance between him and the defensive back, but finishing his routes two yards further because his ability to put force into the ground had improved drastically. And it wasn't for, I mean, there was stuff he can do in the weight room, but it was just from actually doing true speed work and true acceleration work where those special qualities of the nervous system, those special strengths that we've developed on the field. So there's gonna be, there has to be just in a balance in training. It ain't all about the weight room. And what people forget, and don't get me wrong, please, I love the weight room more than anybody. I've com I competed in bodybuilding for 30 years. Uh, I retired at the age of 51. I did three shows in four, four weeks, which was, which was brutal to begin with. I'm sure um, it was. Are you kidding me? Oh, you have no idea. Fuck. I, I got yeah, to. No. I think the last week before the first show, I squatted 315 for like 16 reps. My legs were probably one of my better body parts. Now I'm like, I fucking look like Pee Wee Herman from the waist down. But the last, the last week before the last show, which is four weeks later, I was squatting 135 for sets of eight and fucking struggling. And I'm like, this guy can't go no more. And um, so I love the weight room. But what people don't understand is this. It's only one of the qualities or traits that need to be developed to be an athlete. We're still sportsmen. People forget that. There is no one best exercise for anything. The problem with us as human beings comes down to this, the brain. Mm -hmm. Our brains are hardwired for novelty and stimulation. So we're always looking to be stimulated, which is why cold showers are great because it increases the dopamine response. We all want that dopamine response. And sometimes people get that, to that oh, that exercise looks cool, I wanna do that. When Tommy Myslinski and I came out to Arizona 2001, and we came out here for one, one specific reason, I was about to meet with Jay Schroeder, because we were fascinated with what Adam Archuleta was doing. So now you see all this information and research, Justin, on isometrics, EQIs, eccentric quasi-isometrics, if you think about it, any slow lowering of heavy load, whether it be eccentric or concentrically, is a quasi-isometric, if you think about it. Yep, 100%. So we learned, we learned a couple different ways from Jay, Jay, Jay how to do it. We learned about isodynamic work, you know, all the stuff that was written in D.B. Hammer's um, book. All that stuff Tommy and I saw back in 2001 and started using it. Nowadays, you see all this research and people are like, oh, this is the greatest thing. I'm like, fuck, no it's not. It's been around for 100 fucking years. Anything new is old. When I was growing up in the back of comic book magazines, there was a Charles Atlas program. Charles Atlas program was all isometrics. First time I ever started training, I did isometrics. Wall sits, isometrics. 
I had a very smart track coach that, yeah, we started doing, we called them Russian leans. It wasn't called the Nordic hamstrings, it was called Russian leans back in the day. And he put us on a hill. So as we gradually got stronger, we just started lowering the inclination of the hill. You're the second person that said that. Fuck, who said that? It's not rocket science. It's not no. new. They've been around for a thousand years. Everything has been around for a long time. I've learned isometrics back in the day. Back in, Jesus, fuck, we used to put the stack on the universal bench press machine and just get under and push against the handle as hard as we could. Jay does it uh, uh, backwards, quote unquote. He goes isometric, eccentric, concentric, correct? Right, yes, yes. And I do the same yeah. exact thing. Like, it's not the Cal Deitch triphasic way. It's like, no, get really good no. in the position, get down there, and then, yeah. Position first. So it becomes okay. isometrics first to teach position. People talk about, let me put it to you this way. I don't believe in corrective exercises. I think it's a waste of time. You know what's corrective? An isometric hold. Learn a position. It really is. Because all the corrective exercises is all a dysfunctional motor pattern is is the brain trying to find a route of mm. what it perceived to be a danger the brain's going to look at the external environment one of two ways it's either dangerous or it's safe if that perceives as a danger then the brain's going to find a compensatory route around it so one of the best ways to get the brain's attention to me is teaching position put them isometric contracted position isometric hold yeah shut I that overprotective my... parent off right yeah exactly let the brain know it's okay to be in this position. You know, it's a, eh. listen, we all look for the perfect model. And I understand the perfect model. We're not all gonna fit that perfect model. Everybody has a solution. Their bodies will have a solution that has found the best way that works for them at that point in time. So when you go through the process of rehab, I don't get carried away to correct things that are eventually gonna prove over time. When you first start running somebody and they've had a knee injury, it's going to look like a fast walking. It's going to look like shit. <laughs> the brain's going to develop a pattern or solution, a solution to solve that problem. That's what athletics is. It's just us, our ability to solve problems, external problems in the environment. That's going to change constantly. Their jump strategies are going to change. Are going to change. You'll see somebody jump and you'll be like, yeah, he slingshotted. Here's what it looks like. But as long as it's changing over time and they're getting better, I don't, I don't panic about it because I know over time it will. You can try and rush it, but everybody's individual. Sometimes a rush might not be the best thing in the world, you know? But what I'm just trying to say is use isometrics. Get the brain's attention. Use yielding. Use overcoming. Let the body understand what the position should be and let them get the brain's attention so the brain can start to self-organize and figure things out. You don't need corrective exercises half the time. It's just a waste of time. Will you go yielding or overcoming first? I like yielding first. I think uh, of all the contractions, and understand this, on this level, by the time these guys get to this level, they've seen everything. They've seen a ton of volume. They've seen almost all concentric work. Where are the two contractions where you'll get the most bang for your buck? Because now the room for improvement went from here down to here. There's a minute, very slight area for improvement with these guys. I think getting the brain's attention and you using iso yielding first is the best. 
Uh, and that's my opinion, because the brain patterns all three contractions differently. From the iso I think also the benefit of using isometrics is besides improving rate coding, you improve the relay station between eccentric and concentric activities or mm -hmm. contraction. So yeah. now you're going to improve or shorten electrical mechanical delay. So I'm trying to say you'll shorten the electrical mechanical delay, which is the actual onset of the, contra the, the, the contraction, the lag time between the actual onset and the actual contraction. There's a lag time between there from that action potential that you can shorten that. And I think that's done through improving the relay station, which is the isometric contraction. So I love ISOs. I've been doing ISOs forever. We've been doing ISOs out here forever. Same thing with eccentric work we've been doing. But I like to go isometrics first, learn the position, then go to eccentrics, yep. and then go to dynamic work. And that's the way I've always programmed. But again, <clears throat> that's how we want it to be done, but that's not how it's always done because I don't have control over who they choose. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. To be their, their personal terrorist in the off season or, or their preparation uh, person getting ready for the season. And again, it's not put in place by the time you get here. It's not gonna be put in place during the season. It's impossible. Once he starts, I start yeah, especially like with everything the travel to development. Yeah. Yep, yeah. They're going to be all over the place. I once asked, I love Louie. Uh, in 1997, I had an epith epiphany. And it came from uh, meeting Louis Simmons, uh, Charles Poliquin. And then mm. uh, Louis actually got me introduced to Charles Francis. So this all at guys one time or just different, different times? Different times, but within like three or four months. Wow, that's awesome. Because when I went back to Pitt in 96, I actually had an assistant for the first time. My first 10 years coaching, I didn't have an assistant. It's just you. It was back in the day. Well, yeah, it was just me. When, uh, until I think 94, 84, when they started with the scholarship rule, you take 150 guys to camp. I had like a 3,000 square foot weight room at the University of Pittsburgh in the back of the locker room. I just had to schedule guys all throughout the day. You're responsible over 100 guys. And even back then, I knew you can't train everybody the same. There's different qualities or hierarchy of qualities that each position needs. And I realized that one day sitting in a staff meeting with, with Coach Sherl, and Coach Sherl asked Coach Moore, or asked me, he goes, how's he doing in the weight room? I said, getting strong. He says, he looked at our offensive line coach, the late Joe Moore, he says, how's he doing? He says, stinks. Ain't doing it, ain't getting any better. I'm not, right then I realized, it ain't all about strength. There's a lot of other things that I can help these guys put in place to help them improve their performance on the field. So, um, yeah, I realized that a long time ago. You can't train everybody the same. And everybody has these hierarchical qualities that needed to be addressed. And that's why I've never written the same program for everybody. And I never will. But uh, I forget what I was talking about. Shit. That's what happens when you get older. You said you were talking about the 150 athletes and you were bringing them in 
um, often during. Oh yeah. So I, I went back to pick a 97. I had my first assistant, Mark Costick and Mark goes to me, you know, who Louis Simmons is. And I'm like, no, I really don't. I don't pay attention to powerlifting. I'm, you know, I was just bodybuilding and working in a rehab clinic. So he gave me a couple articles. I'm like, hmm, this guy's pretty fucking good. I wonder if we can get him out of here. So I called and Louie talked to me and I started talking to Dave Tate. You know, Louie never left Columbus, Ohio, very solemnly. Really? So Dave Tate convinces, convinces Louie to come to Pitt for a day. For three hours, I got my ass ripped. Uh, and I'm like, oh boy. And what was surprising to me was, is I'm walking out the door and Dave grabs my arm and says, don't worry about it, he likes you. So I said, Louie, I need to understand where you came from. And he sent me all his articles from Powerlifting USA. I bought the book, Science and Practice of Strength Training, that, uh, Zatzorski's book. And I went to visit, I called Penn State University. I remember I'm from Pitt, die hard blue and gold. Mm-hmm. For me to walk on a Penn State campus is pure blasphemy. Uh, it doesn't, it, it can't happen, but it did. So I called and got in touch with Dr. Zatzorski and a couple of weeks later, myself and Chad Hutsko, I went on back to Pitt. We're traveling to Penn State to meet Dr. Zatzorski, which is where I really first heard about force plates and what he was doing in his biomechanics lab. So that, that was ninety-seven. That was ninety-seven. That changed my life meeting Louie. And from Louie, the next thing I know, Tommy Mizinski and I are traveling are traveling out to Westside, Columbus, Ohio, to visit Louie because he invited us out. First day we we go into Westside. And it's the old West Side, which is on Demarose Road. I'm watching Chuck Vogelpool do seated good mornings with 500 pounds for 10 reps. And I turned to Tommy. I'm like, oh, we're in a different fucking world. I don't know yeah. I'm fucking, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Kenny <laughs> Patterson's laying up doing dumbbell tricep extensions with fucking 100 pound dumbbells. And I'm like, holy fuck, is this a whole new world? But from Louie, I got, I got to meet Charlie Francis and started talking to Charlie. I have a notebook at home I don't know where it is every conversation I ever had with Charlie's in that book I still have his speed trap and his uh, speed training book here with his personal cell phone in it you better go find that book I still have it right now the other one the other one is I think it's my mother's house that I stored in um, in our garage here in a a couple boxes I don't have all my books in this room but those guys changed my life Uh, I went to the 97 I went to the mega power conference in Cleveland Ohio and it was Louis Simmons and Charles Pollock. There's maybe 50 people in, in attendance. There was myself, my assistant, Mark Costick, a good friend of mine who's, I'm very close with Michael Hope, who's a PT, who's one of my go-to guys when I got issues or I call. Uh, in the center, there was one other strength coach there, it was Mike Mondi, who was a BC at the time. So there was three strength coaches, everybody else was just personal trainers. That's all it was. And I learned more in those two fucking days well, I think it was one day that I've ever learned in my entire life. And that's why I started going back and forth visiting Westside. So I started reading all of Charlie's stuff. So I started calling and asking Charlie questions. Those people opened up my eyes. And that's when I started reading more and more and realized what I do realize, I realize the extensiveness of what I don't know. And when we talk about training, it's just not about the musculoskeletal system. It's about multiple systems and how they support each other and how they handle the stresses of training more about the endocrine response and the hormonal response that we're all after. But there's so much more to know. It's not even funny, Justin. And there's times that I do get overwhelmed, especially now with all the data you collect. You can either be data-driven 
or data aware. I'm aware of the data. I'm not driven by it. It's not gonna happen. Like I look at it every fucking day. Uh, but I do look at, you know, the videos we take of players and it's constant problem solving. You have to, each, each athlete is a puzzle you have to solve. And I don't think anybody really has the answers. I know there's a lot of people out there who think they have the answers, but then you start dealing with individuals, you know, that doesn't apply to this guy. No, it really doesn't. I went, first time I, when I first came out here, Stu McMillan always talks about, I was over at Altus as much as I was in the Arizona Cardinals facility. And I have a little notebook. And I took a thousand notes watching those guys coach. The first thing I noticed about Dan is he's a great problem solver and he's a great observationist. He saw things I couldn't see. And I was like, Jesus, I got a lot of... I went to dinner one night with Carlo, Carlo Boscelli, Dan, Klein Moslinski, and myself. I didn't eat. I just took fucking notes. I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word for two hours. I just sat there and I said, can you repeat that again? One more time? What was that again? I was just writing shit in a book. And I still refer to that uh, that book when I go home sometimes. You'll get up in the middle of the night and I have post-it notes by my by the bed. My wife will tell you, I have post-it notes everywhere. Because you may get an idea, and at my age, you don't want to lose it. Trust me. What does that mean about me, then, if I got this? Yeah, yeah, here they are. When it comes, it comes quick. And it doesn't stay that long. No. Constantly writing notes down in books. I have notebooks on my fucking desk here. They're all full with notes of listening to podcasts. I'm taking notes when people say. Like, and it, what irritates me, really irritates me, is when I don't know it. I'm like, how come he knows that and I don't? And then I get pissed at myself. So then I gotta go start going back through things and looking through things over and over again. Now I look at, I think I went, I spoke at the National Hockey League's convention, to, I think it was last year or the year before. It was Marco out in Florida. And I got to meet a guy who I have a lot of tremendous respect for. I was following him for months, Les Spellman. And as Les speaking, mm -hmm. was like, why the fuck don't I know this? So I started calling Les. Lesson, uh, Cece sat in my office one day and I'm like, these guys are on a new level. They're on another level that I have to get to. So, you know, every day is a challenge. I think should be a challenge for all of us in physical preparation is just to be better than what you were the day before. Find one, one thing that you didn't know and look at everything that you're 100% certain of and question it. Go back and question it. When you're certain of something, I always go back. It's like Mark Twain said, once I find myself on the side of the vast majority, it's time to take a step back and reflect. And that's what I've been able to do my entire career. Take a step. I'm, 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 trust me, I'm my worst critic. I'm constantly writing notes to myself, constantly thinking, why didn't I know that? And then I gotta go back and start researching things. I was doing that before you called me. I'm like, fuck, I didn't know that. I better find out why I didn't know that. And I'll go back and reread re things. In my age, a lot of guys I know might have just kind of sliding off into the, into the sunset. I'm not going to do that. I wasn't, that's, my, my responsibility is to do the best I can for the athletes I'm responsible for. So I'm constantly trying to upgrade my knowledge because your athletes are your responsibility. You limit your, you limit your knowledge, you limit your abilities, limit your abilities and limit the development of your athletes. So what's your job? Develop your athletes. The, the, the data stuff, don't get me wrong, it drives me nuts sometimes. It becomes Same. overwhelming. Oh my gosh. It becomes too fucking overwhelming for me and I gotta so take much. a step back. Yeah, I gotta take a step back. I'm like, leave me alone with that shit. I don't wanna see it today. 
I'm already, my mind is already working overtime. I don't want to fucking see it right now. <laughs> I took, they did Kyler Murray's uh, force play yesterday. I waited until this morning to look at it. I'm like, I'm not ready for this yet. I'm not ready for it. I watched him jump. I saw I saw him slingshot. I saw some things. I saw his first jump. He bent more at the waist to recruit it from his lower back when he jumped. Uh, back extension. I'm like, I'm not ready for everything else yet. I just got it. I just started looking at it today. And what I do, I put it in a fucking folder and send it up to Matt Jordan. He said, hey, Matt, I'll pay you for this. But yeah, I need some help here. So I'm waiting to hear back from Matt. <laughs> What Dango said, you used to do that to him too, though. Like, if he'd ask you a question, you'd be like, ah, not today yet, motherfucker. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm saying, I'm not ready for that fucking yet. My mind doesn't work. I would tell him that. Yeah, I'm not ready for that. Don't ask him that question. Or if you're going to ask me, don't expect an immediate response. You have to give me time to think about it. And there's a lot of shit in his brain after 66 years and 43 being involved in his profession. Sometimes somebody hmm. will say something. I'll go, oh, yeah, we did that back in like 1980. We were doing that. It's like when I first, people started talking about med balls. I'm like, yeah, I had med balls at Pitt. In 1980, we should throw them around. They were the leather ones. Remember the old leather ones? We had the old leather had med balls. We had them in the weight room. So make guys throw them back and forth. Try and knock the guy over with it. Try and throw it through his chest. But we started Now that's like the new cool thing to do. <clears throat> no, no. Yeah, there's, like I said, anything new is old. There's nothing out there that I haven't seen. The only thing I haven't seen is all this data nonsense. And that is the thing. It is nonsense because you can become overwhelmed. It, it, it kind of can oversaturate it. I feel like it's the pendulum is eventually going to swing back the other way where people get rid of it. Do you agree or no? Is it here to stay? Um, I think it's here to stay, to be honest with it. So like old, old guys like me just have to deal with it. I can look at a guy right now knowing I don't need to jump in. I know he's gassed. I can just watch him. My first assessment is when guys come in, and they start doing tissue prep. They're using a foam roller as a pillow. They're just laying at you and looking at you with dead eyes. And you turn the music on and nothing happens. Yeah, You tense. better be prepared to change. Just because it's on paper doesn't mean it needs to be done. There's always the, there's three opinions. There's opinion of the athlete. There's opinion of the coach. And the athlete always has perceptual awareness, not physiological readiness or perceptual readiness, not physiological readiness. They know their perceptual readiness and what they perceive to be the readiness. Because you always get guys that say, oh, I feel good, I feel good. I'm like, really? Because you look like shit. And the last is the opinion of the athlete's body. Who are you gonna listen to? The athlete's body will talk to you as they move. The question now becomes, am I listening? Is it really a dysfunctional movement pattern or is it just what he does? Andre de Grasse, that left arm goes straight when he sprints. I was talking to Chidi a couple of weeks ago, and I always have these, Chidi always makes me aware of a lot of things, but he was talking about uh, Shelly Fraser Price. Uh, and he says when she first came, she was smoking everybody, but she had a forward head lean, she had big backside mechanics, and over time she cleaned that up. But he goes, you can still look across the track to this day and say, that's Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. I know how she moves. Because people are gonna move distinctly to what works for them. There's the model, we all work to the model, but there's also bandwidth. Or like Chidi tells me, there's negotiables and there's non-negotiables. So what are the negotiables? This is what we can negotiate with, this has to be here. 
Everybody's talking about, I understand, force in a short amount of time. Don't get me wrong. And everybody, I think we're going down a rabbit hole with all this stiffness and force production. And I'll tell you why. And I've thought about this for a long time. If that isn't expressed in the right angles at the right moment, you're still going to run. So I think we're chasing things that are putting the cart before the horse. You know, I think people get too carried away. Oh, did you see that foot placement? It was off a little bit. Like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, because it's going to be perfect in a game, right? Like, not, yeah, nothing's going to be perfect in a game. So now let's get back to periodization. You have a game plan, right? Mm. Does that game plan go according to plan? Or they make adjustments at halftime? It's the same thing your plan is for the day. It's a plan. That's all the fuck it is. There was, a, I had a quote, I used to hang, I, I don't know what I did with it, Justin. There was from a British officer on the D-Day invasion, and the quote went something like this. Nothing is going to go according to this plan in this chaos of this invasion. So when you get on the beach, just find me. That's all the quote was. I'm like, isn't that apropos? That's fucking, that's periodization right there. Here's the sheet. This is what the plan is for today. I don't expect it to go like this. Nor should you. No. I don't know how you can think you can precisely predict. And this is where the whole NSCA is going to get all fucking pissed and tight ass on me again. How can you predict the outcome, the precise outcome, over 16, 12, 8 weeks of a highly complex multifactorial organism like the human body. How do you think you can predict that? The road to Rome was built, but it took a while. There were potholes. So, like James Smith used to say all this time, all roads lead to Rome. Yes, they do. Some of them are more curved, some of them are more, more pothole, but eventually you'll get there. Like Charlie used to say, eventually you'll get what you're training for if you keep training for it. Eventually over time, but the thought that you can precisely predict where somebody's going to be, to me, that's a little ludicrous. That's why I don't like training for max days. If you're feeling good, no. you just set a max. No. You just set a new PR in a workout. So back him up a little bit and get him the hell out because he's done for today. Where else is he going to do? He's going to go higher and let them stabilize. Don't start training off that new PR right away. Give the body time to stabilize and accept its newfound levels. And if you do that, I'm, I'm for, I always tell people, consistency and continuity are the keys to training. It's not intensity. You can only train intensity for so long. It's being consistent and be, having some continuity in your program. Don't go looking all over the place because you'll drive yourself nuts. Well, this worked for him. Well, that's great. That worked for him. Might not work the same for you. You got identical twins on the same program. They're not going to have the same outcome. So stop looking for the magic bullet theory. It doesn't exist. As long as you have principles and keep those principles in line, then you can work around everything else. And that's how Why I've do you think so many coaches don't let them stabilize? Why do you think because so many coaches don't like stick with the stabilization? Sorry. This is the way. I think that's a great question. And in the old days, I was always wanting more and more you know, to prove to myself that I was a great strength coach. I think it was uh, new head coaches, especially in college, are guilty Ooh, of that. Point. You know, well, they're not working hard. 
Nobody's throwing up. I don't see anybody vomiting. You know, you got to grind them into the ground. So guys spend too much time. And again, guys got to go justify their program by going upstairs and saying, look, he went from a 300-pound bench press to a 365-pound bench press. Did he get any better on the field? That's not necessarily going to equate to being better on the field. It'll help him over the long haul. But it may not be the reason he gets better. There's multiple reasons why people get better. I'm a, I think chasing a heavy squat will adversely affect your sprint performance. There's no question in my mind about that. And I think chasing a heavy squat or just, you got somebody, you got to keep his bench at 400 pounds. How much bigger do you think it's going to make him if he gets to 410? Is it really worth chasing that extra five pounds? How about working on some other quality that he needs to work on to help become a better sportsman in his activity? Make that decision. Don't always chase an almighty number because you may be highly disappointed. So I tell people, if your goal, if your life's pursuit, if it's all you've ever dreamed of, to get to this level, you're going to be highly disappointed. You're going to be a failure because you're not going to get here. It's by luck I got here. You know, things have to line and fall into place. And I still tell people, I'm just lucky to still fucking be here. You know, that may change tomorrow. <laughs> I may be asked tomorrow to leave. But it, it, you know, like I tell people, I don't know how the fuck I'm still here. They'll know. Especially if there's four different head coaches and four different staffs. Just fortune, I guess. But it's a constant pursuit of knowledge and getting better that I think separates the great ones from the average ones. I'll do something not till I get it right. I'll do it till I don't get it wrong. And I think that's, that's a significant difference in people. I'll keep studying it until I don't get it wrong. Not about getting it right. I just don't want to get it wrong. That's my goal. And that's why I, I try to read something every day. Now, I will tell you this. At my age, that reading may be a precursor to a nap. So, you know, when my head starts to bob, it's time to... Turn my chair to the door and put my feet up on the wall and fucking grab about 15 or 20 minute nap. <laughs> People don't realize this. When I turned 60, I told my wife this, and I told both my daughters. And I don't know where my energy level went, but fuck, is it suffered. And the older, I don't even want to see 70. Fucking don't want to see it. <clears throat> but the older you get, you need a little break. And you can't ask me a question and expect me to come up with an answer right then and there. It's not going to work. Like Gadanga said, you got to give me time about that. Give me time, let me think, and let me go through everything that's in my brain or what I've done over my lifetime. And like I said, I do not know everything. I'll be the first to admit it. Be the first to admit it. I'm not going to fucking bullshit you. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know that. Don't fucking know it. I got to go learn it. So I think that's what helps separate the great ones from the average ones. As long as you're able to willing to learn and you keep your mind open. And understand, you're gonna change your opinion on everything a couple times. You know, I got away from isometrics, down back to isometrics. I got away from eccentrics, down back to eccentrics. We first started talking to Cal Dietz about eccentrics and isometrics back probably 2006, before he came out with triphasic. And we talked about it at the Napster, Illinois, where Dr. Bondarchuk was speaking and Dr. Yesis was translating for him. Down to Sedkin was there and a couple other people. And a couple other people and coaches were there. Milo and I went to that. And that's real annoying. That's when we first started talking about the value of just doing eccentric work, the value of just doing isometric work, the value of having blocks of those 
And I think I would like to say that's where Cal Dietz got all started shifting towards his triphasic training. But Cal does it eccentric, isometric, and a dynamic work. I like, I like, I prefer isometric work first. It's great for teaching position. It's great for motor unit activation. But more importantly, it's great to improve that relay, that time delay, that shortening electromechanical delay between those two contractions, which is why I really like it. And I've, let me, I, I'm helping Kyler Murray right now and, and Zach Ertz. I have them holding the split squat for up to a, under 90 seconds now, loaded. You know, I'll put a bar under their legs in a split squat and have them don't move for 90 seconds. And I've, I've seen them do it. I've, but again, Not fun. Yeah, here's what's, what I need to, need to improve upon is, I'm in Arizona, I've been here for 10 years. Jay Schroeder's two miles away. You know, Eos used to be a Golden's gym. I should walk my ass over there and reintroduce and talk to him more about this stuff because he had it figured out back in the day. He really did. He had, he had a lot figured out, and I got to give him credit for that because he understood the value of isometrics and eccentrics back, way back. Funny, when I was at the University of Buffalo, we had a kid who played for us, Jeff Blue Balve, and his aunt lived in Arizona. So his aunt would pay Jay to train him during the summer months and stay, stay at UB. He handed me a sheet of workouts once, and I got to find them. But I remember one of them was three sets of one eccentric back squat. Three sets of one, didn't matter the load. I think Jeff used 225, lower that fucking thing for 60 seconds. That's that close lower on a, on a rear foot elevated split squat for 40 seconds, and it was brutal. Can't even imagine doing it for 60 seconds. But remember, remember I want to do something for eight seconds. No, back in the day, Arthur Jones talked about uh, mm. 60 second rep. Take 60 seconds to lower yourself from a chin. I remember those days, back in the day. I got to about 20 seconds, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> That's it, it's all slower, I'm coming down. But there's nothing new out there. And I think if you continue to look at evidence-based research, that's great too, but that evidence-based research is only as good as the next evidence-based research article to come out. So you gotta keep reading, you gotta stay up on things. And like I said, it's as much as an art as it is as a science, to be honest with you. I prefer being an artist than a scientist. I get the science, I understand it, but I still rely on my eye, and I still rely on some of what my gut tells me. And I've learned more from guys like Brett Fisher and K2, who's over at Charles Bentley's place, guys like Dan Path, Bush Nextnight, or Matt Jordan, those guys, Louie, the late Charles Polk and those guys, even John Meadows taught me a lot. Those guys have enabled me to enhance my learning tenfold. Yeah, I learned a lot from John. I spoke at a 2015 um, elite conference and I was shocked that the guy knew who I was, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because I had seen him a year before backstage at Nashville. When Nationals were in Pittsburgh, because that's where Jimmy Mannion's a good friend of mine, the MPC Physique Chairman. So the Nationals are held every year in Pittsburgh. I used to go to Nationals all the time. I'm backstage, and I'm looking at John Meadows. I'm like, holy fuck, you know? And then next year we went to the Elite, I spoke at the Elite um, Conference, and he actually knew who I was. And I remember just standing off to the side, looking at him, so I introduced myself. I'm like, nope, stay away from him. It's fucking contest time. I'm not even gonna know near any of these guys. But I remember watching him pump up in the back room, but I learned a lot from John. Absolutely did. I think everybody has an opportunity to learn from, to be honest with you. Even if it's not what to do, 
<laughs> you're still learning. So take advantage of every situation. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions and question everything that you're 100% sure of. Question it. Go back and question it. And that's what I'm, I've been doing right now, especially on eccentric training and the different ways that Jay talked to me about EQIs. And there was a guy before him, well, it wasn't with Jay, it was a guy named Tony Schwartz. And I forget the other, Kelly Braggett were guys. Dan Pat, I mean, um, Dan Fickner, who's, and Chris Corsif or disciples of Jay. Like they were probably Jay's guinea pigs back in the day. But they'll talk to you about, you'll learn a lot from a lot of people, Justin, if you take the time to put your ego aside and ask questions, to be honest with you. But when, I'm, when I get off with you, I'm going to go right back to doing some research on stuff that I didn't know. And I'm, in fact, this afternoon, I have a note to myself called Boosh Nexnager. <laughs> well, I'll let you, you uh, go and, and go have the rest of that time. I mean, I've taken up a, a plenty of your time, Coach. So thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Plus, I, appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, keep learning, keep training, and keep understanding that we're all individuals. We're not clones yet. What works for one might not work for another. Understand it's your responsibility to find what works for people. And people are, are puzzles to be solved. Some people take a lot longer to solve than others. I'm still trying to solve some of the stuff I see with, see with Kyler Murray right now, which is why I'm calling Boo. But anyway, I appreciate the time, Justin. Thanks, Have a safe you too, trip. Coach. Moving back to Iowa.